Welcome to Miss Pack Light and Color, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of Black women. We believe that every Black woman has a soul story and that sharing these are a catalyst for healing for themselves and the broader community. I'm Candy and I'll be your host, Pack Light. We're kicking off our very first episode of Miss Pack Light and Color. We are overjoyed to share this with you. In our very first series, we will discuss violence against Black women. Today, we will address police violence. I will be joined by Philly Fox News 29 anchor reporter, Lauren Johnson. Let's get it. So I have here Lauren Johnson. She is a weekend anchor and reporter at Fox 29 News in Philadelphia. She's also one of my besties. Um, And we went to college together at Furman. We ran track together. So I'm so happy to have you as part of this conversation. And especially because not only because I love you, but also because you are telling these stories every every day. day. <laughs> so you even know firsthand just like the 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 storylines, how they're being amplified, how they're being told. You're in the midst of that every day. So I'm so happy to have you to kick this off. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and I'm so proud of you for doing this. I know there is a space and a need for our voices to be amplified, like you mentioned, and and just to discuss some of the topics that don't get discussed in mainstream media. So hats off to my little activists for getting it done. hats off. (laughs) Hats on though, we gotta keep our hair in place. Cause yeah, cause I'm rocking my hat, hats on. Hats on, but hats off. (laughs) So just kicking off this conversation. So we have the most recent police violence against black women, such as Breonna Taylor, which has really got amplified more than any of the stories that I've seen, you know, recently. Um, but counter to what we saw with George Floyd, the the police involved in Breonna's case have not even been charged. Why do you think that is? You know, I know a lot of times it feels like we're slow to achieve justice in this country. And because it's happened so much, I think we are conditioned to believe charges can come faster. We know what happened that was wrong. This is what happened. We know it, charge them. It's not that easy. And I can say that just being on this side of things. As a black woman, of course, I want the same justice everybody else wants Mm -hmm. that's black and that's a woman. But being a journalist, I know there's a process and there's a lot of things that go into it. And when you have police body cam footage, surveillance, of cell phone video of people, you know, coming out shooting. It's a lot to pour over. You don't want to rush to judgment because you don't want a weak case. You don't mm-hmm. want to go to court later. And then it's like, well, we didn't have what we needed for this case to be charged the way it was charged. And sometimes prosecutors get aggressive and they'll say it's a first degree murder charge. They knew they were running in there to kill someone, but maybe the jury's like third degree. It's not first degree. So you want to make sure you have everything you need. And I mm-hmm. think that's what's happening with this case. We've seen these countless times. I think they're just being careful. I think they're trying to make sure they give the case the justice that it needs and deserves. And when you have people like Beyonce and Oprah speaking out, Oprah buying billboards, yes. people, you know, every day on their social media sites, like today's Monday, I'm excited to go to work, but don't forget, you know, the officers who arrested Breonna Taylor have not been arrested yet. Like it's, it's a movement on social media behind the most basic posts. So I just think it's not easy. It's not an easy job for mm-hmm. anybody involved, for the family to sit and wait, for the prosecutors involved, for the police to conduct their investigation, to interview all the people that were there. 
we, we have to hold out hope that they're doing due diligence and getting yeah. done the job that needs to be done, even though it seems like for us, it's taking forever. We like hurry up. Yeah. No, but you it's bring like, a good point hard. though. It reminds me of this guy. I'm sorry. I call her die guys. Candy. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of our time versus God's time. We're always like, why not now? Why? I'm yeah. ready for this. And God's like, not yet. Like, it's not no, it's just not now, you know? Yeah. So yeah. you kind of have to just be patient. And I know it, it's hard, but that's the best way, I think, to kind of get what needs to happen out of these situations. That's like me waiting on my future, boo. Come on now, God. Yeah. Why are you waiting? That's what I, you have to ask. Why? Right? Why? why are you why taking are you so long? long? <laughs> Um, but no, you make a good point, right? Because some of the differences and the topic of this is the invisible story. And it seems like the incidents that are happening to black women are not filmed, yeah, <laughs> not recorded. And they're happening a lot in their very own homes. And so there's, it makes it much harder to your point to kind of create that narrative or have that evidence. And I think the reason why we've discussed this before, um, when we were doing our coping with being black in America, um, there has been video, right? Yeah. And that has, you know, brought so much more attention to it yeah. because you're actually able to see it. Yeah. And so that's part of the challenge with these situations that are happening with black women is they're yeah. all happening behind closed doors. Right. That's the unfortunate part of it. I think it's harder to prove he say, she say cases yeah. versus when you have actual physical evidence on video, these were your actions. These were this person's actions. Someone's actions were not in line with the law. It's easier to look at a video and see that happen and play out. But as you mentioned, sometimes these things don't happen on camera. Um, and it's unfortunate and it's sad for Black women that become victims. I think the best thing that we can do is what we've been doing collectively in the case of Brianna is continuing to raise our voices and never to get silent about those things. Because the more, of course, we've heard this before, you know, there's power in numbers. And the more more collectively, I think we raise our voices, we raise awareness, and we get people to understand just how powerful our voices can become. No, that's so true. Like one of the things that I also saw is that, you know, again, in Brianna's case, it was a no-knock warrant, right? Yeah. So you have these folks in plain clothes, you have them mm -hmm. without their, their video cam. And so it's yeah. like, there's nothing. There's literally right. nothing there. And then some of these are also, it's not only just, you know, uh, violence that looks like murder or right. assault, but it's also um, sexual assault and sexual oh. violence and, and oh, where yeah. women are being raped. Um, I saw something that said that like 538 cases between a certain span of years of women have been, um, that no, police officers have been charged for sexual assault and misconduct against women. And I was like, yeah. what? No, it was in 2013. 548 sexual misconducts. That is, and, it's disgusting to hear and it's even more awful to think about the women who had to endure that because the scariest part, I think people often say, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, why are you running from police? You're running <laughs> because you're scared. When yeah. you've seen videos play out over and over and over again, you're scared. You don't know what's going to happen once you get in the custody of that officer sometimes. And so a lot of these men and women may look to the general public like they're guilty because they're running. Mm -hmm. They're running for their lives in real life. Like that's what it really yeah. boils down to. And, and truly running from police 
never has deserved death. I don't care who it is. It's never been a qualification. When you run from police, you deserve to die. Now, pulling guns and weapons and shooting at police, threatening, that's a different story. Yeah. But simply running from police is, I mean, it, it may be a, crime, a death sentence. That's why we have a justice system, right? Right. So um, it, it's sad that this is the way the world is working right now. Um, but you're right. The video becomes so crucial in so many of these cases. You said something also that like is very interesting. It also speaks to the 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 dynamic and the difference between uh, and the lens of how Black people view police officers mm -hmm. versus how you might say white people view police officers. So you see, we trust them. They're here to help. We respect mm -hmm. them. And to your point of what you said, when Black people engage with police, they are scared. <laughs> It's not, it, we don't have that trust factor. Literally, my heart stops if I get pulled over. Well, let me tell you a story. I was with a friend. Um, we were driving north of Philly. So we were headed up towards Massachusetts in the car. And he said, I think we're about to get pulled over. And I turned around to look behind us. And he's like, don't do that. And I was like, okay. But I wasn't, I, I can't think like him, right? So initially, I'm like, what? Why is he so on edge? Like if we get pulled over, we get pulled over. So we, you know, the lights come on and he was driving my car and I was in the passenger seat. Well, my insurance card is over in the door of my, of my driver's seat, you know, cause that's where I usually pull it from. So as I reach over to try to get the registration and the insurance card again, no, 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 don't move. Don't make any sudden movements. And I was just like, well, why? Because I, I don't think mm -hmm. like a black man because I've never been in a black man's shoes. I can imagine what they go through, mm -hmm. but I've never lived that. But in that moment, it started to hit me. This is the fear that they face every time they encounter a police officer. And this is just for a routine traffic stop. When yeah. the officer walked up to the car, you know, he, he, you know, said, you know, hi or whatever he said to us. And then my friend said to him, this is not my car. This is her car. She keeps her license, her registration and insurance down here, which I can reach for. My license is in my back pocket, which I'll have to reach for. Like he explained wow. every single thing he was doing. And when we left that traffic stop for probably 10 minutes, I think it was silent in the car because we both were processing what had just happened. This was probably two years ago, Candy. This wasn't, you know, that wow. long ago. And just to sit there and kind of digest what I had just lived through, mm -hmm. let me know what they live through every time they see a police officer encounter one, get pulled over by one. Mm -hmm. There's a level of fear that you cannot argue with if you've ever witnessed it yourself. Yeah, that, and that's, that's crazy to have to live that way, right? Yeah. And I think the, the other part that of the story to, to kind of your point is, even if the violence isn't happening directly to you, you are mentally impacted and traumatized by the experience to where it, 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 it changes you. Oh, <laughs> and it changes sure. the lens of how you see the world. It, it, it messes up your mental health, like everything. And that's why when people say the relationship, the general public, especially Blacks, have with police is so important because if you can't mend that relationship to make someone feel trusted they never will and yeah. you will always be the enemy if you're shooting down and 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 you know i don't know targeting black men there's no way they can look at you as a provider a help you know someone who's helping them in any situation they don't see it that way 
So it, it, you have to mend those broken fences or we're going to be in this position for a long time. <sighs> so goodness. Um, so as a journalist, you're on the front lines, you're reporting all these stories. Why do you think that the stories of black women have not received as much media coverage or public outcry? I hate to say this. Um, I think it's the low hanging fruit argument. We get mm. so many videos, phone calls, police reports. If you sit and listen to a police scanner, you're going to hear so many times, black male, black male, young black male, 24 year old black male, black male, black male. That's what you hear. So those are the stories that come to you first and then you go to them to follow up on those. What happened with that young black male? What happened with that situation where the cops called, you know, for backup in this neighborhood? What happened with that gun? Mm -hmm. um, you're not hearing those stories a lot. And from my vantage point, being in the news, we don't hear that many stories. Now I will tell you here in Philadelphia, we have a crisis going on that is not the coronavirus. And it is truly, truly gun violence in our city. And it has gotten to a very low point here where women, pregnant women and teenagers are dying every single day. There is no mercy, there's no life that's, you know, they, that they don't care. And they meaning people who get out of their cars, shoot in neighborhoods, young kids, five, six, seven years old playing in the wow. front, getting hit by bullets. I mean, it, we're in a bad place in Philadelphia right now. So I just think that, you know, it, it's those stories that are sometimes untold because they're not brought to the forefront as much. I also think, let's just be very honest. I think a lot of times Black women become victims and then they come back and change their mind about what that story is that happened to them. No, mm. no, no, I don't want to talk about it. No, 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 let's drop the charges. No, I was emotional at that time. I'm better now. And they don't follow through with the process of pressing charges or you know going to court showing up for court and then a lot of times those charges get dropped mm -hmm. um we have to follow through if someone has wronged you you have to follow through on that because nobody else will nobody's going to fight as hard for those charges to be char brought up you know against whoever it is if you don't follow through and i know there's fear i know in the black community there's retaliation yeah. you know it, it's a lot on the line i completely understand but i think sometimes for some people it's just too much yeah i mean it, part of the second part of the series is talking about that that type of violence against black women where it's domestic abuse or being killed by your 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 domestic partner or being raped or sexually assaulted by your own family member and so in those cases yes you find that because of the trauma and the stereotype and the oppression and the brutality that's happening to black men, black women feel like even if they are victims, it's their job to continue to protect the black that's man true. from the, the broader things that the are happening that's impact. Yeah. yeah, that's impacting them. And so it's just as it, it becomes more complicated if you share children with them. And, you know, at some point, you and your child's father may have gotten in an argument. If he shoved you, you called the police in that instance. And then now later, it's like, oh, I don't want to get my son's father in trouble or locked up because I want him to be here for them. It's a, it's, you feel conflicted in so many instances where you don't know what to do. I interviewed a mom one morning on the phone. Her son was killed by a stranger, but the straight, it was a stranger to her, but this person knew the father. 
So mm. she lost her son to a complete stranger, but someone that the father knew. But now she's being very careful about what she says about the father because I don't want to get him tied up in this murder because he wouldn't do that to the, you know? Mm -hmm. So you start to be very careful and deliberate and what information you share, you don't know. And so those stories sometimes don't get told. Mm. Oh, that kind of goes back to another point. So with Black women in general, how much do you feel like certain stereotypes or labels as the strong Black woman play a factor in um, their stories being invisible? You know, I do think, I think we have to take the onus on this. And I think we have to make sure we follow through. Like I was just saying, you know, a lot of times there'll be, there'll be times I've done this where I talk to a woman and I'm like, all right, well, t tell me your story tomorrow. You sharing your story with me shares it with thousands of people in the city mm -hmm. and who knows who could hear it, who that could help, right? Whether it's a young girl, sex trafficking is a really bad issue there in Atlanta, here in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. You don't know what your words could do to help people. I think that sometimes Black women put the labels on themselves and we put the pressure on ourselves sometimes. We do get it from the culture mm -hmm. and we get it from the world. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be the angry Black woman. When you speak up and speak out, you know, people will call you mad and angry. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I feel like you have to stand in your truth and tell your story, whatever that may be, to help the next person. It's like we have to pull each other up from behind so that mm -hmm. we can make move forward. So I think a lot of it could be stereotypes. Um, but I think a lot of them are self-imposed and we got to get over that. We don't have to be strong every day. We don't have to be tough. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we have feelings. We can, we can become broken people too if we take on too much. And I think that women in general try to do that and we have to really be good to ourselves first. Well, what about in the cases where there's been like some type of uh, law enforcement or police violence? Do you still feel like the earnest is on black women in those cases, on those stereotypes? No, not necessarily. I do think it's the fear, though. I think the fear overrides doing what might be right. Or, you know, sometimes we have a story and one person will speak up. For instance, my story today, I did a story, awful story. A person is sending these vile emails to Black business owners. Yesterday, it was one. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I saw that. Right? So, like, the more people speak up, the more you're like, this wasn't just me. This didn't just happen to me. And mm -hmm. so now we have a collective voice to say, this now happened to 12 businesses, 20 businesses. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with women. The more we speak up, the more you, you know, use your voice as your weapon and your words can become powerful. I think it helps us to say, wait a minute, we need to stop and look at things differently because that's not what we thought it was. You know, we thought this was a routine traffic stop, but now she's saying this yeah. officer wrote her or touched her inappropriately or drove her to a place that wasn't a police precinct. How many other women has he done this to? Mm -hmm. But it's speaking up first and not being embarrassed about being the victim because you wanna make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else. So I, I kind of feel like it's kind of like a both, right? Yeah. So I feel that on one end, the stereotypes, um, like even going all the way back to, to, to slavery where uh, Black women were looked at more manly and less vulnerable than white women because they were out there doing manly slave work, hard yeah. work, but they were also um, painted as being over-sexualized. And yeah. so I think those things and those stereotypes have contributed to the actions. Yeah. But not necessarily maybe contributed completely to the stories not being told. But I think you brought up something really, 
really important. I think there's uh, even just, you know, in general for any type of a, a sexual abuse or sexual assault vi victims, um, is, am I going to be believed? Oh. Um, are, are, are they going to believe me or are they going to then come out and, and try to damage me and, 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 and say all these negative things about me and discredit me, basically? Am I going to so be victimized? again exactly and then you're victimized again and so there's there's this this fear of am i going to be believed mm -hmm. um for the the ones who even survive <laughs> so yeah. in a lot of these cases in some of these cases these people haven't even survived what has happened to them but for those who have survived it's like are they going to discredit me and we see in a lot of these incidents whether it's a woman or a man um immediately immediately we can just be like up oh, counting five four three two one they gonna pull up their rap sheet <laughs> yeah. oh i know it's credit the victim it's it's a bad it's a bad practice and i've had to fight that fight in the newsroom before when we're talking about you know suspects why do we have to continue to say blackmail five five there's so many people out there that are five five give me something else that's a distinguishing feature or factor that will let me know there was a tattoo on his neck of a dragon. Now I can tell you, oh, I know who that is. But a black man who's 5'5", five, five, 150 pounds, we don't need to keep saying that as, as a way to find a person who's responsible for something. So it's the labels, I think, are very detrimental. And I think it's important for people to know, especially at least from my vantage point, this is the best time to be in a newsroom right now, because while we should not have to educate people on our culture and certain things, I think systemically over the course of time, TV news has done things a certain kind of way. And we mm -hmm. just did it that way because, and now there's a chance to say, wait a minute, let's pause and look at this for what it's worth. How valuable is that? Why are we doing that? Why are we standing in front of this building or this house? Why are we talking about this person's past from when they were, you know, a high school student and this person's now 50, you know, mm -hmm. what are we doing? So mm -hmm. I think there is some good news um, on the front that we are now having an awakening in a lot of newsrooms where we're bringing forward very important questions that really sort of, I think, shake the boat on how we cover stories and how we cover black culture. I mean, sometimes I've heard people say thugs, just because the suspect was black doesn't mean he's a thug, period. Yeah. yeah. Just because someone said they saw a black man doesn't mean he was black, he could be Hispanic. I mean, skin color and skin tone, we don't know that that's the case. So, you know, it's a lot colorism. You could say darker tone or, or, or something, but yes, right. it's equally black. You, you, you assign a race to it, you don't know what their race is. You can't tell what their race is, no. yeah. No, and that's how police reports are written. Black male, white male, Hispanic male. That's not, it's just like, there's three categories of people out there. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to do, I think, a lot of challenging the system in the roles that we all have, because we all have different roles and we can get things accomplished in different ways of trying to make sure that we're doing our part to speak up for we know what's right. I think that's awesome. Um, so the other thing that we, you know, you typically see, it's like, again, going back to kind of like discrediting, it's always like, hey, you know, don't, uh, if you commit a crime, then somehow that validates the, 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 the violence, the, the murder, the assault, the sexual right. assault. Um, but what people don't seem to realize that your everyday black person, <laughs> whether you're a criminal or not might have some troubling encounters with police officers. So you, um, 
check, live by the check, 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 check. I went to college. I got my education. I have a career. You have done everything that by the book, right? But the right way. by yeah. the right way. Um, but can you name some encounters that you have or share with us some encounters yeah. that you had that have been troubling with police officers? Absolutely. Um, I was probably, I would say 22. So early twenties, um, had just flown back from Atlanta. I was living in Orlando at the time, dating a guy who flew back in from New York. I'd parked at the airport. So we both hop in my car. We're heading back to my place. On the way there, I noticed it was a police officer behind me. And I mentioned to him, I'm like, this cop seems to be following me. And then we turn and I'm like, wait, I saw two of them turn. So now I'm starting oh, wow. to question him. Are, is there something in your luggage? Like, is there something I need to know? Why are these cops behind us? You have weapons of mass destruction. Right. So I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. Like, I have no idea. So we pull up into my apartment building. And at that time, I lived in a building that had a security guard that let you in the gate. So he let me in. And then I noticed the cops came right in behind me. And at that point, I noticed four or five cars. So four or five went four from five. one to two to four or five. Okay. Five. Lord. I parked the car. As soon as I put the car in park over the loud bullhorn or, you know, whatever, the loudspeaker, I need both of you guys to step out of the vehicle with your hands in the air. And I'm like, so now, Candy, I'm like, I know I myself haven't done anything. So now I'm like, what did he do? Now maybe I'm getting caught up in something that oh, I didn't no. even do. Inadvertently. Inadvertently. So I get out the car, hands in the air, heart beating. It felt like it was going to like beat out of my chest. And I'm standing at the door of my car. Now, at this point, with the, the scene you can imagine unfolding, people are looking out the windows. I see blinds. I embarrassing. See it's embarrassing. I'm and you're on the news. On the news, in a new city. I maybe have been there a year. They basically put me in handcuffs and put me in the back of a sheriff's, yes, squad car. Yeah. Did they it ever was. say anything about you being charged for anything before they put the handcuffs on you? Is that, and I asked repeatedly, isn't that what are like you against the... for? <laughs> I'm at home. What did I do? Ma'am, I need you to cooperate. Ma'am, I need you to cooperate. Ma'am, I need you to cooperate. So they put wow. me in cuffs, put me in the back of the police cruiser, and I sat back there in the most, if anyone's ever been back there, I hope you never do, but there's no car seat like in your regular comfortable car. It's like a, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a sheet of plastic. So you're just sliding along the sheet and you have to sit sideways so you don't like break your wrist or hurt. It's the most awful and like degrading experience to have to go through that. That's just step one. We sat there for, I don't know how long. Oh Finally, after I would say maybe 30 minutes, they kept coming back and forth. Now, where'd you say you were? How do you know this guy? They opened my car trunk, took all of our luggage out, went through all of my stuff, like took it all out. Panties you know, and all. Everything, everything that you can imagine. Um, Tampons. <laughs> everything. And, um, you know, I can smile about it now, but oh my God. So in the end, my car matched the description of a car involved in a crime in a neighborhood that wasn't far from me. That was the reason. That, that wasn't far from you, but you came from the airport. Correct. Correct. And I'll tell you this. I How just long is the trip from the airport? To where I lived, I would say it's about 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. It, it was, it was came awful for the airport. That's and, and truly, if you think about it, where I live, which is Metro West in Orlando, if anyone knows, 
the airport is this way, the neighborhood they accuse me of, you know, being in is a completely different way. But, you know, their story was, well, we don't know how far people can go and get when they're involved in crimes and speeding away from scenes. By the way, can you say what car you had? I had a Honda Accord. Everybody got a Honda Accord. <laughs> a Honda, a dark green. So at night it looks black, right? Everybody a dark green can. Honda Accord. Um, yeah, so in the end, basically, they apologize. Actually, you know what happened? He, one of the deputies recognized, he said, roll down the window, still in cuffs. Yeah. Are you Lauren Johnson from the news? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, a law-abiding citizen. That is me. Mm-hmm. A few minutes later, he let me go, took my license. I'm sorry for the mix-up, Miss Johnson, is what the, the words were. Never like, and you know what? I, w- I told Why you I was- Why did they t- run your d- driver's license before they did all that? They would have found that out really quickly. A quick Google. Very quickly. Very, and this was, so I guess this would have been 2004. So we're talking like 16 years ago this happened. And of course, technology may not have been what it is now. Yeah. Probably, you know, now more officers and more departments are requiring officers to wear body cam video. I think if that would have been recorded and used in a training class, or if, you know, a police chief would have seen it, it never, ever, ever would have been looked at as, oh yeah, there was probable cause for that to happen because there absolutely was not. Wow. And literally yeah. the only reason it sounds like it stopped because you got rec- recognized. Driving the wrong car is what got me in the situation. Being recognized is what got me out. Man. And all of yeah. us can't be so lucky to be. Correct. Like and that's the thing. <laughs> Getting to Glenn. She got pulled over. Yeah. 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 So she rest in peace. You know, it's just, it's awful. Driving while black. It's a real thing and people don't understand it and you never can until you're black. Just like I couldn't understand being in the car with my friend who's a black man. I'm a black woman. So I know what certain things feel like. I don't know what it feels like to be a black man. And that's why I challenge people to not assume, to think they know everything when it comes to being black in America. Cause you don't know until you walked in my shoes, you know? It's a lot of people, yeah. you know, the quote candy that I'm sure you've heard a million times. It's like, you want our rhythm, but you don't want our blues. It's true. <laughs> the, music good, the culture's fun. The, the fashion. Talents. Yeah. But it comes with a lot. Mm. Yeah. You want the glory, but you don't want the story. But you don't know the story. <laughs> Um, you've given us a lot of good uh, suggestions as we have been kind of talking about this, but like kind of just putting a tight little bow around it. What are things that you feel like that we can do to fight against this police violence as far as from your perspective of what you can do in media, what things we can do as far as like policies, and you made a good suggestion about taking that video if you had a body cam and using that as training um, later on to help better train police officers. What are some other suggestions that you have? I know this is going to sound so simple, but I'm going to say vote. And I've had this conversation with you before about people in my family. We will not call out who they are that do not think their matters or counts. In a year like 2020, where we have seen everything from a pandemic that's affected the entire world to race relations bubble and boil over to the point where we saw protests in the streets become riots, become looting. And now we're, you know, less than 60 days away from an election. I think that's probably one of the most important since we will ever see in our lifetimes. Um, 
vote. We have to vote. You have to know mm -hmm. who's in positions of power. Who are the people that are prosecuting all the black men for petty crimes? Who are the people that are allowing black men to sit in prisons for, you know, I have a weed charge, but now weed is legal in this state. Are we going to let all those guys out who did that years ago? And now you're profiting <laughs> off of it? So know who you have in power, in, in positions of power where you live yep. and, and make deliberate choices about where you choose to spend your money, spend your time, spend your life. You know what I mean? You're mm -hmm. buying houses in neighborhoods. Do you want to live around other like-minded people? Do you mm -hmm. want to be around people that can build communities together to be stronger because we're there? You know, I, I challenged my mom once. I said, mom, are you sure you want to stay in this neighborhood? She's in a black middle-class neighborhood in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Are you sure you want to stay here? I think it's easier when you go to a different neighborhood, there's more food options and grocery stores. And, and she's like, I don't want easy. I want to live around people who look like me, who think like me. I, I don't think that you can get that in a lot of places. And I think that sometimes you move into neighborhoods and people look at you as being a black person. How did you afford to get here? Why did oh, you yeah. move into my neighborhood? You know, what's yeah. going on there? So I think we have to spend our dollars. My our neighbor asked me um, when I moved to my suburban uh, uh, home, I had yeah. just moved in. He was the welcome committee. So what do you do? <laughs> Yeah. That was the first question. That's the, it's, like, it's, it's after always, hello, what do you yeah, do? It's the assumption that like, you don't really deserve to be here. So how did you get here? Yeah. How did you and, get here? Yeah. I got here the same way you got here with money. Yeah. yeah. It's been the same way. Um, so yeah, I think we have to really honestly, Candy, is we have to look at, you know, things that we can control. We can't control other people. We can't control how people think. We can have meaningful conversations, we can vote, and we can make sure that we're involved in those kind of politics and, and things in our communities that matter, mm -hmm. not just to us, to our children, to the younger generation. And we have to protect those that, that don't have a voice. Yeah. I, I mean, you know this from college. I fell into this by, by mistake. And, and it's God's work. I can say that because it was never, I never, you know, grew up watching TV saying I want to be on TV. I thought I was going to be a doctor and help save lives. It didn't work. Um, <laughs> shout out to Herman for helping redirect that path for me. <laughs> but I now know that this career has wholly been a blessing to my life because I always, always have, I, my heart breaks for the underdog and people mm -hmm. that don't always get a chance to speak up and speak out. And that's what I've given people the chance to do with this job. That one microphone amplifies voices in ways that people won't even imagine. And I get emails, you never will believe someone saw my story and you know sent me money, sent me books, sent me this, did this for me, offered me this. You know, I got a meeting with this person, the principal called. You give people a chance to you know speak their truth to power and yeah. and you know give give them a chance to change their lives. So I think we all do that in different ways every day with our jobs and we have to keep doing it now more than ever. It's, I mean, the, the consistent theme is just raising your voice, right? And whether your voice is, hey, um, getting interviewed by Lauren Johnson, or whether your voice is through voting. And I think a lot of us forget that there's a lot of importance in voting on the local levels, um, <laughs> because that's what impacts your direct community. And I think this pandemic has really brought and shined a huge light on how important um, local representatives are in making decisions. Because I mean, again, it's been in a lot of cases, okay, hey, the governor makes this decision, not me. And listen, um, or the, the mayor makes this decision, not me. I was going to say, Andy, we've seen Keisha Lance Bottoms on 
news networks, like national networks through the pandemic and how she was handling mm -hmm. certain things. There was some conflict there. She's a, a, you know, she's the mayor of Atlanta, but she, she rose to prominence because of how she used her voice and her platform, you know, partnering with some of the rappers that she knew could speak to the younger generation. Mm -hmm. You have to be so deliberate in how you use your platform and don't take it lightly, whatever it is. I mean, even just think about with the, the athletes uh, most recently and how yeah. we don't normally see, we saw Kaepernick kind of like kicking off that some years ago, but we don't normally see folks talking about, we're not playing today. Yeah. <laughs> we're not yeah. playing today. We have never seen that before, but I think people need to realize that you don't have to be a mayor. You don't have to be an athlete. You do not have to be Lauren Johnson. Um, no. You can get your voice out and be heard by simply as going to vote. <laughs> vote. Um, and vote. I think we see direct impact of, uh, I believe the last presidential election, it was a decrease in black, you know, African-Americans voting in comparison to voting the last uh, the prior year when Obama was in office and uh, we see what we have here now. So um, we just see the impact of it, right? And when we don't get out there and we don't exercise our rights to vote, how that can impact your life. And nobody could have predicted a pandemic, uh, but we see now more than ever how these rules and how people govern and those laws. And I'm like, wait a minute, can that actually happen? Can that person actually yeah. do this? And yeah. educating yourself on what that is and being right. more involved in, in your communities. And I think it's making the largest impact. And just like you said, getting your voice out there. And that's why I applaud you for doing this because you just never know one day who clicks on this, who downloads this, who hears this, and it's just what they needed to hear that day. And a lot of people think, oh, there's already enough podcasts. There's already enough journalists. There's already enough whatever. Yep. It's never enough. It's never, there's room for everybody. And I think that everybody has to find what it is that they want to do, what motivates you, what moves you, what inspires you, like that fire inside of you that makes you want to keep mm -hmm. going. Find mm -hmm. out what it is and then use your life in that way to help serve everybody else. Cause that's what we're here for. You know, it, you can't be self-serving. You have to figure out how can I serve other people and help other people because so many people need help. That's the, that's everybody's life mission, whether they realize it or not, is how you oh, yeah. be of, of service. Right. Okay. And um, God uses all of us. Right. And so I think yeah. a lot of people, and especially during this time that we're living in has to ask the question of yourself of how can I be of service? Like you said, what is meant for me to be able to do instead of living in this very individualistic uh, way, a perspective of thinking, well, well, that doesn't impact me. But we see now that uh, simple things like wearing a mask versus not wearing a mask can impact somebody very largely. Yeah. And so it's like, it, we realize how much we are actually connected um, versus then, uh, no, well, I don't know this person. I don't live in that neighborhood. Oh, that violence is happening in Portland. Oh, it's not going to happen here. And, you know, even with the George Floyd situation, you're like, man, that's messed up. And then you're like, oh, okay. And then you turn on the news and you're like, what just happened in Atlanta? What? Yeah, that's how I feel. I was like, what? It started at the CNN Center that night. I was like, what is going on at home? Yeah, yeah. it's like crazy. It's, it's, it's right in your backyard. But yeah, like you said, I think, you know, realizing that we all have have been called to serve and, yeah. and asking ourselves to really get your voice out, serve. <laughs> do your census, do your census. Oh, yes. You're asking people for grant money and they say, well, we only have $500,000 for that neighborhood because we think it's only 500 people there and there's a thousand people there and you could have gotten more money. You're complaining. No, we all have to do our part. So 
I have a friend that works for the census who's a former journalist and he always talks about that. He's like, I just wish more people would get involved in doing it to realize schools, hospitals. I mean, yes. basic things that you don't even think of every single day are counted in the census and how they release monies to different cities. I mean, we saw that with the, the pandemic with the, you know, hospitals not having the funds or beds to even support what was coming in. And you're like, what's the problem? They don't have enough room. Why don't they have enough room? Right. Well, they because didn't know this know. many people were in the area because exactly. you didn't fill out your census. So it's you all connected. Yeah, it's like you build a, a 300 bed hospital, but it should be a 600 bed hospital mm -hmm. based on how many people live in that area. So we all have to do the very basic things that probably seem very minute, make a huge difference, I think, in all of our lives. So vote, <laughs> census, be involved, speak up, use your voice. I know it sounds so basic, but yeah. like those are the things that I think really matter. And get like, I think you also made another point earlier, get over the stereotypes, right? So I think it's very hard uh, being a black woman, um, yeah. strong black woman, like I don't even want to say it anymore. I'm tired of it or angry black woman um, yeah. because those things, those stereotypes are used to silence you. Yeah. That's why they're there in the first place. So yeah. don't believe in the things that they're saying uh -huh. about you. Know who you are and Correct. know what is right and speak up for what your truth is. Yeah. I've had that happen where you speak up about something and it's like, why are you so angry? I'm not angry. I'm just concerned. That's, <laughs> That's a good one. I'm going to use that I'm line. Not angry. What? Um, I will give you a percentage because I'm about to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Not angry, just concerned. Because that's what happens. Like, I'm not mad at all. I'm just concerned about how the optics of this and how this looks and why it looks this way. So I'm speaking, you know, up about it because I'm concerned. Yes. And so that's what you said. People try to, to put you in these boxes of like, oh, she's mad. I'm not mad. I'm just concerned. That's it. <laughs> I I'm am just a concerned me. citizen. I'm always concerned. I'm, concerned. <laughs> I'm not mad. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, Lauren. This has been such Aww. a great conversation. Thank you for having me. I love you. It's my friend. I love you yes. too, friend. I miss you. I can't wait for this to be over so we can hang out again. I know. I know. Tell the guests how they can find you. Oh, you can find me um, on all my social media. I'm Lauren Dawn Fox 29. So I'm on Instagram, Twitter, not really big on Facebook, to be honest. Um, but I'm on all those social platforms. So you can find me there. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us at Miss Pack Light and Color Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and follow us at Miss Pack Light and Color on Twitter and Instagram. Pack Light.